This is Clutch Fans. And by the way, shout out to the Clutch fans. You're listening to the Clutch Fans Podcast, an open conversation for Houston Rockets diehards. Houston Rockets is unbeatable. I'm ready to get on Clutch Fans. Now, here's your host, the man who would have drafted Harold Miner over Robert Ory, Dave Hardesty. Welcome into the Clutch Fans Podcast. It's been a while, and we are here at the scene at Toyota Center after Houston's 122-104 Game 5 win over the Minnesota Timberwolves. That wraps up the series for Houston. They win the series four games to one. Uh, I'm here with M.K. Bauer. You know him on Twitter as uh, at Moise Capenda, an absolutely great follow, lots of uh, great insight on Houston sports. Um, M.K., thanks for doing this with me, and this is this was an interesting series. Yeah, it was interesting in a stand, the standpoint that once the Rockets started doing what they always do and make shots, it wasn't really that competitive. There were moments, obviously, in the series where it felt competitive. Game one, um, Houston winning by three points, them losing game three and not really playing particularly well at all, um, it being a one-point game at, at halftime of game four. But then it felt like, to me, like third quarter of game four, the second half of, of tonight in game five was indicative of them making shots and being – one of the best offensive teams efficiency-wise in recent memory. And it didn't feel like Minnesota really had that much of a bearing on the series with their defense. I know you could say that they did by looking at the scores early in the season, the series and how poorly the Rockets shot, but just from watching the series closely, it was about the Rockets dismissing shots. And I'm curious to see how that kind of translates into the next series against a better defensive team, whether it be Utah or Oklahoma City. Can they afford to go these stretches where they're missing a lot of shots and still thrive? Or do they need to figure out ways to be a little bit more efficient in getting the shots that they want and hitting those shots and not putting themselves in um, in peril more often? Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. You know, I think there were early on first three games, the Rockets were missing a lot of open shots. And I think it's a testament to really the gap between these two teams because mm-hmm. I think when the Rockets are playing well and the Timberwolves are playing well, I think Houston wins fairly easily just because of the way the system works, because of the threes and, uh, you know, just being a math issue. But we saw early on uh, Ariza, Tucker, uh, even Gerald Green and Gordon were just ice cold from three. And the Rockets were, I don't want to say lucky, but, uh, you know, they were up 2-1 in that third game. I mean, people, they, were, they got whooped. And I think people were kind of looking at game four where they come out semi-flat they have a one-point lead at halftime in game four and then just boom we see what the Rockets are capable of uh, and they finish them off here tonight and you know it's a good sign that they're starting to knock down their threes tonight we saw Ariza uh, and Tucker I think believe went nine of 14 from three-point range combined that's something we really hadn't seen in the series Um, Harden has you know he's had a couple of awesome games I think tonight he was he was pretty solid I think 24 points 12 assists 15 in, in the third quarter when the Rockets pulled away I think they did what they were supposed to do. We, we we tend to look at these playoff series and, you know, put it under the microscope and say, oh, look, you know, James Harden missed a layup, you know, he's choking or he, he's, you know, 
feeling the pressure of the playoff series. And I, I don't really worry about that so much as just the Rockets not playing well during stretches here because, I mean, the Timberwolves are a solid team. It's it's going to get a lot worse from here. I think to kind of to piggyback on your point, one thing that stood out to me, and particularly specific to James' shooting, um, 41% isn't great, but 39% from three is pretty doggone good. You'll take that in every series from this point moving forward. But what really resonated with me was how poorly he shot in game two and the Rockets won by 20 and how poorly he and Chris Paul shot in the first half tonight, 3 for 16, yeah. yet they were only down by 4. The role players, like the, the one thing that was missing throughout the postseason last season when James had kind of dragged that team as far as he could and then fell apart in Game 6, was that they didn't get the contributions from other guys. And then tonight, Ariza and Tucker, I mean Ariza and Capella with 13 points apiece in the first half. Eric Gordon with 12 points in the first half. And so it's a four-point game when your two best players are three for 16, and that's huge. I reference game two, Harden shooting two for 18, the Rockets winning with ease. They've built the roster so well that now you have multiple guys kind of chipping in here and there to kind of plug gaps when Harden is kind of surveying things and hasn't quite figured out how he wants to attack opposing defenses. And that's going to be huge for this team. If he understands, and I think he clearly knows this now, it's not all on his shoulders. He doesn't have to carry this portion of load. And he can go out there and play the game the right way. It really makes it that much easier for him and that much easier for the team because he's not taking shots that he doesn't need to take. And he's not overexerting himself in stretches of the game where he wears himself out when he needs him down the stretch. And it hasn't been down a stretch in the series. The third quarter has been a stretch in the series. And he's played well when they needed him to in the last two games in the third quarter. But by and large, because they've gotten contributions from so many other guys at certain spots of the series, it bodes well for what's going to happen in the next series. Chris Paul could make a three-pointer tonight, yet he had 12 points and nine assists and no turnovers. Um, Harden shot again 39% for the series, 86% from the line, averaged 29 points in the series, five rebounds and seven assists. These sort of things are indicative of a good team and not just a great player leading a team. And I think if they're going to play like this, the poor shooting aside, they're going to do as well in the second one as they did in the first. Yeah, I think uh, as far as the Rockets, you know you've got a lot of weapons you have to deal with. I thought it was an inter- somewhat interesting development tonight. We saw top six Rocket players get the vast majority of the minutes. I mean, Eric Gordon uh, played 32 minutes. Uh, the starters all got between 33 and 38 minutes. Uh, and Ryan Anderson played 10, and they played 10. Gerald Green only got eight, which is a slightly uh, interesting development. And Joe Johnson really didn't play since after the first two games. Uh, he, you know, he came in for the last 46 seconds of garbage time tonight. Um, we, you know, we've been saying, or not us specifically, but just fans in general have been saying, you know, Mike D'Antoni shortens the rotation of the playoffs. Maybe we're starting to see that. I'm curious to see what happens if Luke comes back, Bob Lute comes back. Because yeah. clearly, particularly if they're playing a team like Utah in the next round, where you're going to need multiple bodies at, at Donovan Mitchell to kind of slow his role offensively. And I think Luke kind of fits the bill in terms of being one of those guys you can put out there. He can exert himself defensively. He'll give you a couple shots here and there offensively if you need it, but you don't rely on him to kind of give you points. I don't think you want to put yourself in a position with that, with that particular matchup to where you're burning a good offensive player by exerting him defensively against a guy like Mitchell. So therefore, Luke is going to be important. So therefore, I think that that rotation stretches a little bit more, or maybe he just fills the role that left by Gerald Green and that he doesn't play at all. It's going to be really interesting because I think more than anything else, given the depth of the scene, it's really going to be matchup heavy. Like who they play determines who's going to play off the bench for this particular scene because you're going to need certain guys in certain situations to thrive against certain matchups. So, I, I, and look, and I think you and I kind of discussed this as the roster kind of bloated with the additions of Brandon Wright and, and Joe Johnson initially. There's no way Dan Tony's going to play 10 guys in the postseason. He's just not. He's never done it. He's not going to do it now. 
but I think now he has the options to kind of utilize his personnel differently and more effectively because he has so many guys available and all those guys that he has available are veterans. Yeah, I can't say enough good things about Tucker. You know, he had some serious shooting woes early on in the series. Uh, it's such an asset when you have a guy who hits five three-pointers in a game and plays that kind of defense against a guy like Cat. I mean, fights, this is... Fights his ass off against a much bigger player in the post. <laughs> yeah, well, what is this guy, like 6'5"? I yeah. mean, like, he, he's giving up so much size, but he's so strong. Such a smart defender, can switch on pretty much uh, anybody. Love what P.J. Tucker does when he's knocking down that open shot like he was doing tonight. Um, but Clint Capella is the, the guy I really wanted to bring up. I mean, I just you know, 26 points tonight, 15 rebounds, 12 of 14 shooting. And, you know, I, it, it amazes me. I mean, it was just a couple years ago, maybe even a year ago, where you and I were just wondering, you know, is this guy, you know, he's, he's got a lot of potential. He's got, you know, the, the wingspan and, and you know, there's upside there. But is he going to truly get it? And it just seems this year he's he's cleaning up the boards. He's knowing where to be on defense. Uh He's, he, he just has grown so much this season over what we saw last year. Uh, the one thing that strikes me is he's accepted the role that Dwight Howard refused to accept. Be a role man, rebound, play defense. And he's thrived so much because he's accepted that. He doesn't ask for more. He doesn't want you know post-touches constantly. You don't need to appease him in the post. He's going to do what fits his offense particularly well. And the result is this, 16 points, 14 rebounds, 2 blocks a game, and a series while shooting 67%. Those are robust numbers, particularly against a center, the quality of Carl Anthony Towns. If you're going to get that kind of productivity from a guy who's not a selfish player, he's going to be out there and selflessly give himself offensively and defensively, it works. And I think the, the, the funny stat all year about the Rockets' record with Paul Harden and Capella on the court seemed kind of whimsical at first, but then as the season kind of developed, you start to understand that's really the core of this team. Everybody else kind of fits around them, Ariza and Tucker and Luke and Gerald Green and Eric Gordon. They fit around those three guys because what they do as a shooting team and a pick-and-roll team is dependent heavily on how those three guys perform. And if you're going to get this level of production from Capella night after night, it really bodes well for your future because the next round is going to be either um, uh, Rudy Gobert or Steve Adams. Yeah. And that's a tough matchup for him. But he's proven time and again that he relishes those tough matchups more than anything else. Over the time that we watch him grow and develop, he seems like the kind of guy that takes advantage of those matchups where he's the inferior center in name yeah. only. It, it burns something within him. And it's kind of weird because it's risk humor and he kind of carries himself quietly in the locker room. But there's something within him that likes that likes these moments, that likes to get out there on the court and look up DeAndre Jordan in the eye and says, I'm coming for you. I may be younger. I may be slender. I may not have an all-star on my, on my resume yet. But I'm coming after you, and I really respect it about Clint Capella. There's definitely some fire in there. You know, I don't want to get ahead of myself or ahead of uh, yeah, you do. The, <laughs> the narrative, yeah, possibly. But you know, as far as the narrative is going to be in this off season, uh, he's going to get paid. I mean, yeah. big time. And you know, he's a restricted free agent, and you know that usually can work to uh, to a team's advantage. But I think a team like the Rockets, where everybody's probably a little bit angry with the team like this, you know, dominating, winning 65 games, somebody's going to step up with a very rich offer for Clint Capella and. Put Put the Rockets in a, a, a situation where they're going to have to make a tough choice. Um, so, but I, I mean, I, I would still expect him to be back here next year. But he's going to get paid in a summer where people no, are going to be trying to. You no know, one's going to get paid. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I think he's going to be a, a top prize um, more than you know maybe even a guy like Demarcus Cousins. As crazy as that sounds. But I think he understands fit. And the one, it's kind of interesting you talk about this because I think about immediately thought about Hassan Whiteside. Like, fit's so important in this league. 
everybody can't do the same things on any team. Yeah, like you can't dump it into him and say, hey, go to work. Yeah, it, it depends on your personnel that you share the court with. And I think a big part of why he's so good is because he plays with James Harden and Chris, and Chris Paul. Excellent passers, guys who understand spacing and pace and how to get guys great shots in certain spots on the court. And I think he understands that. Like, he kind of talked about this tonight about playing with those two Hall of Fame caliber point guards and what has been for his development this season. And, yes, everybody wants to get paid, but I think he's going to be very well aware of taking a step back and seeing who's offering me money. Do I really want to go play with Dennis Schroeder in Atlanta just because they're offering me a lot of money? Or do I want to be in a situation where I'm playing with two great players who are going to, you know, maximize my potential as a player as I continue to develop into my mid to late 20s? I think that's going to be really important for him. And I think Rockets understand, too, that – how many centers out there fit the bill for what they want to do offensively if it's not going to be Clint Capella? That's a very limited number of players. They will have to scrap what they are as a team to an extent to fit somebody else in that role, yeah. and they're not going to want to do that. You have to play the uh, Houston violin to DeAndre Jordan or something, get him that man to yeah. opt out. You know, uh, I, I would agree that's uh, that would be tough. But I, you know, it, I just think that's going to be an off-season question. Obviously, there's a lot that's going to happen between now and then, but I think he has definitely earned – uh, a huge contract uh, coming up this summer. Um, you know, the Rockets are the number one seed. They're not going to fear either one of these two teams, uh, Utah or OKC. Should they be favoring one over the other, in your opinion? It's tough to say. You know, they had a lot of success this year, obviously, against Utah, but though all those games weren't with Rudy Gobert on the court. And I think to an extent we saw a little bit of what can happen if they if a big rolls back and protects the room against those, hard, those drops by James Harden. Um, it was a little bit cluttered, not as cluttered as San Antonio makes it for Harden, but you saw moments in time where Carl Anthony Towns at least kind of got to, between Harden and the rim and made things a little bit difficult for him. Clearly that's going to happen a lot more if they're, placing, if they're facing the Jazz and Gobert. Um, clearly the Jazz are a very good defensive team, and they've gotten much better offensively with the emergence of Donovan Mitchell. But I think the Rockets look at that team as the, the sort of team that doesn't have the overall firepower offensively yeah. to challenge them in terms of going back and forth scoring-wise. I think as, as wonky as Oklahoma City has been this season, and you really don't know what you're going to get out of that team for night's night, we all recognize they have the offensive capability to match wits with most any team in this league when they're clicking. And so, therefore, that may be the kind of matchup you want to avoid, even though Utah is much better defensively, even though Utah has a potential to kind of drag the Rockets down into a defensive fight. But the Rockets have shown they're a very good defensive team this year. The Rockets have shown, particularly in the series, they're not turning the ball over anymore. Like 42 turnovers in five games is ridiculous. They've shown they can win games in the margins. And tonight was kind of interesting. Limiting Minnesota to five offensive rebounds when Minnesota was a top five offensive rebounding team this year. Limiting Minnesota to no second chance points when Minnesota was top six this year in second chance points. The Rockets have shown defensively in the margins they can win basketball games without it being 25 three-pointers. And because of that, you, to your early point, you can't fear any matchup. Like, they're good enough to be any team playing any sort of way, not just making 18 to 23 pointers a game. Yeah, you know, for me, it's 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 kind of a flip of a coin, flip of the coin, to be honest. I mean, Utah's a very hot team. They're certainly a different team when the Rockets, uh, you know, won the first three games that they played them against earlier in the season. They did beat them, I think, when Utah was riding a double-digit win streak in Utah, and that was on the second tail end of a back-to-back. If I'm not mistaken, that was a huge win for the Rockets. Uh, OKC, the Rockets have a losing record. I think it's the only uh, West playoff team that they have a losing record against this year, but it's kind of misleading as well. I mean, the, the, it was a Christmas Day loss three or four points in OKC without Chris Paul and Mute. And then, of course, there was the loss here in Houston at the end of the year after the Rockets had clinched the, the number one seed. 
they played everybody except Eric Gordon, and you know it didn't look like they were necessarily slacking. But at the same time, it's when there's nothing at stake, it's it's hard to get a good judgment on on what those two are. I, I you know I look at OKC, and there's so much upside there. I mean, there's just as you pointed out with the scoring, the stars. I mean, those guys could play a lot better than they have. On the flip side, I think they're a very low basketball IQ team, or I should say they don't play cohesively well together. Um, so I, I think that the Rockets could take advantage of that. Utah, on the other hand, is, is the opposite of that. Play very well together, but as you pointed out, don't quite have that offensive firepower. If the Rockets are clicking from three-point range against Utah, I don't think that they can hang uh, with the Rockets. But uh, both of those, I mean, as far as defensively, I would think the Rockets are, are in for a challenge, unlike what they faced in this series. I mean, the Timberwolves have Thibodeau, great defensive coach, but they're not a great defensive team. And by the way, not to get off topic, but you pointed this out before the series, and I have to give you kudos because you were dead right. Andrew Wiggins is a disappointment. Yeah, a I mean, a, six months ago, signed a hundred and forty some million dollar deal over five years, and just, I mean, I, I, I watch him, and I think I would be so frustrated if I was a Timberwolves fan, just thinking to myself, what is this guy exactly? You know, we thought he was going to be the next Jordan-esque player when he was coming out of, uh, you know, coming out of college, number one pick. Just just is kind of a blah player. The, the league for years has been littered with players with abundant talent who don't put it together on the court. And, and the discussion you and I specifically had was before the series, name the five most disappointing players in the league right now relative to their talent. Exceptional, talented, talented players who don't perform on the court. And man, he was one for seven late in the third quarter. He was an absolute invisible player tonight. In an elimination game, doing nothing for them. And you see all that skill, that, that burst, that height, that athleticism, and he just does nothing on the court to impact the game positively. And to your point, they got in bed with him. They're married with him now with that contract. And it doesn't take a, a basketball savant to look at that guy and say, he doesn't really give you anything. He doesn't play to the level of Jimmy Butler. I thought oh, Carlton yeah. Towns played really hard the last few games of the series after his coach got on him publicly about the energy. He, he, Derek Rose was terrific in this series. Yeah. There shouldn't be multiple guys ahead of Andrew Wiggins in terms of the impact players on this series, but there were. And I don't know how you look at him and, and, and feel positive about what he's going to be moving forward because his, his kind of body language and his you know blah performances, it, it doesn't bode well for the future. For, if, if this franchise is going to be continue to be built around part, him partly as, as kind of one of your, your three-pronged um, talents on this team. You know, I, obviously you cover the Astros as well. You're at the Astro games. I just have to say for myself, watching at home, the NBA has become must-see TV like every night in the playoffs. I mean, there's just so much uh, stuff going on. It's just it's it's just great reality TV. And we might have missed, the, you know, the best two games tonight being here at this one. I mean, this yeah. was, a, you know, fun. The Rockets closed out the series. But we missed a gem, which has been a great series in OKC, Utah. Uh, obviously, I didn't get to watch it. We were checking in on it. But uh, OKC came back from 25 down with you know eight something in to go. one quarter. It, it, that's just that's amazing. Nuts. I mean, it's amazing. It, it's a testament, really, from what I understand, Gobert being out with foul trouble, of the impact that guy has on that team. I mean, suddenly you take out their defensive presence and and just rim roll the you know over and over again. Russell Westbrook's attacking the, the basket. Uh, you know, I, we'll see how Game Six goes with with Gobert seemingly staying out of foul trouble, but. Um, just a great game, and of course, just before our game started, LeBron hits that shot, which is just nuts. I mean, all kinds of drama, a couple of controversial calls. Um, there's just so much going on in the NBA playoffs. I'm glad when we get to the second round, we shouldn't have this kind of overlap. Where tonight we had four games, two of you know being played in the same, um, you know, the same time. But uh, this OKC 
Utah series is, in my opinion, a great one. Just because there's all kinds of friction, there's all kinds of just drama, uh, just great matchups, I would say. Uh, Joe Ingles and, and uh, Paul George is a good one to watch. Um, that's, in my opinion, the best series to watch right now. I, I'll ask you this, and I'm curious about your opinion. Do you feel more uncertain about how each series is going to play out more so this year than you have in seasons past? Oh, yeah. And, and uh, obviously, Steph Curry's knee is the wild card in the whole scheme of things, the grand scheme of things, because if he's not healthy, they can be had in the second round by the Pelicans' defensive minded backcourt. If he is, they're still going to be maybe viewed as the best team in the postseason. But to, to your point about LeBron, that team is LeBron and a bunch of carcasses. And he's literally dragging them through a series against a really solid depth-wise team in Indiana, and he's doing extraordinary things, and they're barely winning these games. Uh, Toronto and Washington and the music coin flip because each team seems to be galvanized by playing well at home. Gosh, Toronto loses that series. Yeah, and, oh, and yeah. I think they're kind of in positions where if they lose game six and game seven is back at their home place, there's going to be a lot of puckering going on yeah. because they understand that Washington's backcourt is as good as theirs, and Washington's depth, while erratic, can match what they do sometimes and for decent enough stretches of play. I just don't get a feel for how any of these teams are going to perform as we keep kind of moving forward. Philadelphia obviously has been a revelation, and they're, to me, the most fun team to watch, but they're still really, really young. And if they play a team like Boston, who's shorthanded but will grind you to a nub, how are they going to respond to that? If they face a Cleveland in the, in the, in the Eastern Conference Finals and it's LeBron and a, you know the LeBron heirs, how are they going to you know, match up against that? And to me, the West, if Curry is not healthy, it's wide open. And I think the Rockets have clearly a, a great opportunity ahead of themselves, but it's going to be a tough second-round matchup if it's Utah or Oklahoma City. And it's going to be a tough Western Finals if they get there, if, if Curry is improving his health or if New Orleans is still rolling and figure out a way to kind of beat them, I think the uncertainty has made it more exciting to me than it's ever been because yeah. really the, the, the balance in the league is maybe as good as it's been in a long, long time. I'm having such a hard time. I mean, I watched the Pelicans' uh, uh, Blazers series, great series. I never in a million years would have picked them to sweep the Blazers. Yeah. I thought the Blazers, honestly, I bought into them too much. I thought they were pretty legit. I thought they no were layups. Gonna, yeah. <laughs> I thought they were going to give Golden State possibly some trouble, as you pointed out, if Curry's not there. I'm just a little reluctant to believe it because I haven't seen the Pelicans give Golden State as much trouble as I, I thought in the past. You know, I've had matter of fact, I think somebody posted today the last 26 games or something, something like 24 and two. The yeah. Warriors were, but but I 100% agree with you. Without Curry, they are vulnerable. They, I think they drew the best possible matchup for them in the Spurs, um, and so maybe this gets them rolling. But I, that's another great series that I'll be watching. But but the 24 and two mark, I think, includes a different Pelican team. Like, yeah, that's true. I don't think these are the same guys we've seen because they had Boogie and lost Boogie because they've added Miritich and they've kind of revamped themselves on the fly. When I watch them play now, uh, the, the knock was they don't have enough shooting. Well, now they have enough shooting. I, I think they have enough guys to kind of spread around AD and shoot. They have playoff Rondo who really gets, who relishes these moments to kind of get out here and be a disruptive force offensively and defensively for the teams. And, and Drew Holiday, if he's going to play at this level, like we've all kind of understood for a while that Drew Holiday is a very good two-way guard, if he's going to take that next step like he did against Portland and do it again for another round, it opens up a world of possibilities for them. So I think it's a legitimate point. They haven't had any success against Golden State in recent years. I don't think this is the same team. 
And if Curry is not there, I'm just saying it really opens up a whole world of opportunity for New Orleans and therefore subsequently for the Rockets as well. Yeah, you know, Drew Holiday, along with Victor Oladipo, those two guys have made me feel foolish for, I, I mean, just what, a few handful of months ago, I thought these guys were both overpaid. Yeah. Holiday looked fantastic in that series. Again, I don't know if it was a matchup issue. I, I mean, I, I knew he was a good defender. I didn't realize he was that good, but he scored. I mean, he, he did a he had a couple of really big games. I think he scored over 41 41 in, a cl- in, the in the clincher, yeah. Yeah, and that's, to me, that just blows my mind. Never saw that in him. And Rondo, I mean, it was just a couple years ago. We were here in this very spot. Laughing at his lack was, of professionalism. Yeah, yeah. Like, I thought this guy's toast. He's yeah. done. His career's over. He's, he bounced around Chicago, Sacramento. I, I didn't expect this to, from him at all. I mean, to hit that, I think it was game two where he hit that dagger three out of the mm-hmm. corner. You're like, what? I mean, this is this is the playoffs where Ricky Rubio and Rondo double, are yeah. hitting triple, yeah. or are hitting threes. Yeah. You, you know, it's 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 crazy to me. I mean, that's that's the beauty of this. I mean, you you know, one minute you think you think you have a grip on everything, and next minute Ricky Rubio is dominating Russell Westbrook. It's just <laughs> it, it's it's truly bizarre. But uh, you know, I think Toronto and Houston have there are a lot of parallels between those two teams. They're both number one seeds, and and you mentioned you know if they lose. Nobody would ever take the Rockets or the Raptors seriously again if they had lost in the first round. I mean, it's just it's just the way it is, and I think that's why you know Rockets making this a fairly easy series for them overall uh, is a great sign for them. But Toronto is, I mean, they're up three two, but they're going back to Washington. That's that, that's going to be a tight series as well. But no, no doubt the West. This is the year where so many of these guys are. There's, I mean, three through nine was was what two games i believe mm-hmm. was, was the difference yeah. between those games those teams and so there's just so many uh, really tight matchups I, I personally wished some other team had faced uh, golden state in the second round but uh, I, I think the way the pelicans are playing with miracle shooting like that it could be uh, a great series um man this is uh this is gonna be good I, you know I, I have to tell everybody it was like a month and a half ago, two months. <laughs> we were, that long ago. You know, yeah. Maybe it wasn't. Yeah, or I recorded. A, we recorded a podcast. I got home and half of it was was literally. I dominated off. too, y'all. I dominated that podcast. It was great. I, I, was, so, I was at my very best. I was uh, so humiliated that we have not come back to the podcast since. But um, I appreciate you doing this. I think there's going to be um, you know a lot to discuss. Uh, I personally would like to see Utah. I'm okay with OKC. Um, but we'll, we'll be back here possibly Sunday. If Utah finishes it off game six, it'll be Sunday. If they, if they don't, I believe it's going to be Tuesday or Wednesday uh, back here uh, for game one of the semifinals. Looking forward to it, Dave. All right, man. Thanks. Cool.